I remember um, an old girlfriend once described the shoes I was wearing as um, what a child would draw if you told the child to draw shoes. Hmm. Which is to say, like, ugly, but just like the shoeest shoe. Right. You know, absolutely not, you know, no fashion, nothing to sort of make it stand out. And I, that just, to her, it was probably like a backhanded compliment, but I took it as the most sincere possible compliment I could imagine. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> um, well, not, I mean, you know, obviously I understood, you know, I understood that she probably had a different sense of, you know, I understood that it was a backhanded compliment, right. but it was also exactly what I was going for. And the same with these gloves, that there's no, the only distinguishing feature is that there is no distinguishing feature. Right. Welcome to this week's episode of Fear, Honor, and Interest, the podcast for two straight white guys who went to Yale, solve America's cultural divisions by learning about each other's relationship statuses over scheduling emails. I'm your host, Charles Bovinger, coming to you from Washington, D.C. With me on the line, as always, from Istanbul, my co-host, David Will. David, how's it going? I am well, all things considered, since we've had quite a week to be Americans in this world. It's just uh, one one blow after another. It's been rough to endure. It yeah. has been rough. Um, I was at the um, family separation protest yesterday, um, protesting the family separation. Um, it was pretty well Glad attended. You that. Yes, it, well, you know, you never know. Um, it was in Lafayette Square, so you know you're right across from the White House. The I, there was a wonderful moment where a mother was talking to her child and saying, well, that's where the person responsible lives, and we're hoping that by doing it right in front of his house, he'll see it and have to hear it. Um, although it's the weekend. I can't believe Trump would be in the White House. Um, he's got to be off golfing in Florida, costing taxpayer money, something or other. But um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, I was there. It was just a giant sea of people. Um, you're all supposed to wear white, which I guess is originally a reference to um, something about missing families in Argentina and um, something also un uh, coincidentally in Liberia. Um, I didn't look too deep into the origins of all of it. Um, I, of course, only own white dress shirts, so I wore a beige shirt that I'm hoping was close enough. Um, yeah. But those, those sort of things are difficult for me because it's just the sea of people, and I cannot navigate it in a wheelchair very well, especially when you get to the parts over mud and grass and uphill. Um, so I don't know that I personally accomplished all that much with my pro per, uh, presence at the protest, but I was there. I was just another person they'll see on the cameras to help fill up everything. Um, I feel very passionately about this issue. Um, in fact, this week, you, you know, you mentioned this has been quite a week. The family separation policy is the thing that has radicalized is the wrong word because it has all kinds of other connotations, but it's the one that sort of stirred me to a level of fury at what the administration is doing that wasn't quite present otherwise. I mean, I was always mad about a lot of it, but um, this was the week where I sort of broke the seal on the, okay, let's all start doing Nazi comparisons button. Yeah, exactly. I feel exactly the same way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I don't want to So I had... But... So on, on, I was looking at the news part of my iPhone, and two stories that were next to each other were about, you know, families crying over the separations. 
And the other one was, after the travel ban was reinstated, Muslims asked themselves what their place is in America. And, um, and so and I that's posted, the point. Yeah. And I posted that's the on point Facebook. Of these policies. Yeah. Yeah. I, I posted on Facebook, remind me again how the Nazi comparisons are unfair. Um, and of course, you know, a, a conservative friend of mine makes a long post about why they're unfair and why that's bad and why I shouldn't have said that and all of those sorts of things. Um, and in responding to it, I mean, I had a lot of thoughts um, that that came together while writing responses. Obviously, it's a Facebook back and forth on a post. It didn't accomplish anything. Nobody's mind was changed. But I did think that I, 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 I did some thinking while writing replies that I thought were helpful. Um, I mean, you know, for, for those of you who hadn't heard some of the details of this family separation stuff, I mean, uh, it all the more you read about it, the worse it sounds. Um, in terms of just the level of sheer human trauma that is being inflicted on these families. Um, when you, I, I've, I've been forcing myself to watch some of the videos of, you know, 10 year old girls crying for their mother. Um, Try 10 months, right? I mean, maybe right. that's I mean, not a video you've seen, but I just imagining these, um, you know, some one of the that stories, was four months. Right, right. Well, so some of the stories are not, it's, it's just not clear what the trend, what the chain of sort of reliable information is. And right. this is, this is one of the problems that we have that, like, it is unlikely that I would disbelieve, you know, the worst possible, you know, there's, there's not much that I wouldn't believe that this administration would stoop to. However, I have to recognize that fact about myself and still force myself to ask, did this really happen? Right? Like we can't allow their, you know, Trump's rejection of reality you know, in the way that he communicates to the American people, he, you know, he's bullshitting without the slightest hindrance um, of respect for the real world, right? He's just saying things in order to um, wield power over his listeners. Um, you know, so that has a corrosive effect because with that kind of a disavowal of the truth, you know, we who oppose these kind of indecencies and, um, and, you know, horrific policies are inclined to also kind of fly off the handle emotionally when we hear stuff without asking like, wait a second, did this really happen? You know, wh right. who is, who is and how old is the youngest child to be separated from their parent and for how long were they separated and where, you know, under what circumstances, that sort of thing. Like you don't want to ask those questions because it seems like you're not reacting strongly enough against the policy, which is so barbaric. Um, but you know, we right. have to we have to hold up these standards. I mean, it's not fact. Yeah, you know, fact checking sort of makes it kind of cl sound clinical. But it's just, true. you know, this is this is actually this is principle. This is virtue. You know, we can't throw away our commitment to be good people and good citizens um, in our effort to to combat uh, this this vice, this indecency, and this sort of erosion of, of citizenship. Right. Sorry for the dog, by the way. That's, um, um, I will blame you entirely. Um, okay. the, um, yeah. the, and, and yes, and, and the more that I have read about it, the more things that seem to be getting confirmed, the worse it is. Um, exactly. And that's the other part is that, yeah. that you don't lose anything by, by committing to thoroughness because right. the reality is so terrible. Well, you lose a little something in terms of the fact that it, 
it starts to wear on your soul that you're reading yeah. all of this stuff. I, I, one of the things I've been seeing a lot on Twitter recently is people reminding you that you don't have to force yourself to watch every painful video and read every painful story. Um, like you have an obligation to resist this stuff, but you don't have an obligation to make yourself suffer. Um, and that's an important mm. thing to remember. Although some of us are more gluttons for punishment than others, but um, I mean, when you start when you start reading some of the details about this, and the part where one of the recurring things that I've been hearing is they told the parents they were taking the children away to bathe them, and then never brought them back. And that is such a direct Holocaust parallel that how could anyone do that? And not pause and think, wait, are we the bad guys? <laughs> right. And yeah. so this is where, when I, I brought up a Nazi comparison, I, I want to do a quick sidebar on um, comparisons to horrible moments of history. Um, because where the art, where the, my sort of back and forth with people went over whether it's okay to use Nazi comparisons is they say, well, when you say the Nazis, you're taking something that's been mythologized into the ultimate evil, and it means death camps. It means you're taking these people away to be murdered, and we're not doing that. And so you know what you're saying when you say Nazi. You're saying we're killing and exterminating people. To which my response was, you know, after the Holocaust, we all vowed never again. But never again was a vow. It wasn't a prediction. And if it's a vow, <laughs> then you have to take action to prevent it from happening again. And if you're trying to prevent it from happening again, you have to look at the steps that happened along the way. Right, in you part because just, when you, you say can't... never, well, in part because you, when you say never again, are you just saying never again, like, you know, gas showers and ovens? Like, is everything right. up to that point okay? It's obviously not. You know, you, never again means stopping the whole process. Right, uh, and stopping it early. It starts. And because yeah. Nazi Germany is one of the most poured over moments, it might be the most poured over moment of human history to a certain extent um because it's something that which so many books have been written about these details and these parts and because it's sufficiently recent there's so much information about it yeah so many records um it's it is i remember there was a documentary that i think the history channel did many years ago it was called the nazis a warning from history and that's an important part it's a warning we have to look at what happened and prevent it from happening again and if you say, well, you can never mention the Nazis until they're literally murdering people, then it's not a warning. It's not anything. It, it doesn't help you. The notion that you can only acknowledge that what's happening is bad and is similar to this other bad thing, of which we have tons of information. We know the steps that you take to get to mass exterminations of people. We know the steps that it takes to get to inhumanity because we've seen it over and over again, not just in Nazi Germany, but places like Rwanda. And to say you can't use the clearest example of that where we have the most information and the most records, you can't use it just because I'm offended that you're saying we're worse than we think we are. I mean, I, I just, that just, I was, I was mad. Yeah. And so, you know, there's more to say on this topic, so I don't want to make a segue, but at the same time, that's a, yeah, there are two, unfortunately, two separate issues there. One is sort of the matter of kind of objective reality and intellectual um, integrity. Like, are these two situations actually similar? In what ways are they dissimilar? Um, or when I say situations, I, I really do mean more, you know, these processes. So the process we see, these processes of dehumanization and um, uh, setting in motion of the gears of the state in 
um, forcing people to treat other human beings as something less than a human being, you know, a different category of human being. You know, that's a, that's a process that we are currently seeing unfold and that we have, as you say, a record of having unfolded and, and expanded and gone deeper and further. Yes. than where we are now. Yes. Right. It's the, not, that's the whole point. The Nazis, this, what we, the, the, the process we refer to in shorthand as the Nazis, the Holocaust, that process was a very long lasting thing. And we are not anywhere near the end of that process. But as you say, we should learn from the whole extent of it. Um, as an intellectual matter, that's one thing, but then as a political matter, uh, and a, um, and a social matter, you know, is the best way to reach the other side to, to go straight for that, right. you know, straight for the, straight for the N word as it were. Yeah. Um, and you know, I don't, again, like I was just talking about sort of civility and holding oneself to a higher standard before. Um, and now I'm repeating this. And so, I, you know, I don't want to be, to be mistaken because again, like you, this was the week where my sort of internal uh, boundary for the Nazi comparison basically just fell away. Um, I think it's a combination of the stuff that's going on in America and um, the Turkish election, right? which, uh, I don't want, yeah, there's too much. We have way too much to talk about for me. Oh, yeah. There's too always much. too much. We could yeah. just have a live feed between the two of us constantly all yeah. week and we wouldn't have enough to talk. We wouldn't have enough. To right. But, but I'll just put it this way that the shorthand, I mean, the short version of the Turkish election is that people are still talking about this in terms of like secularism and Islam, you know, Islamism and neo-Ottomanism. And that is completely wrong because what won in the Turkish election is hardcore nationalism. You know, Turkish ultranationalism, that's what won in the election. Um, and that's a longer story, but the point is that it's not, um, yeah, it, it's complicated and it's not exactly the same, but, you know, it's this process of the, of, I mean, it's fascism and nationalism. The, the role of the state in um, binding people together and using them to, to, split off and destroy other, uh, destroy the rights of other segments of society. Um, that's what's going, that's what's going on in Turkey. That's what we see building in the United States, at least the potential, the potential of it, of that process building, you know? And so that's what, so really for me, it wasn't the N word so much as the F word that hmm. I lost my hesitance over. Um, we are, we are in a process that could lead us to fascism in America. And we have to stop it because otherwise that's where we'll go. Right. And the only way to prove, you know, the only way to, to say that we're, you know, not going to end up in the Holocaust is to, is to take hold of the situation and, um, and turn it aside. Yeah, I agree. And that's difficult when people will, when there are so many people who say you can't use these words until it's already too late. Like by definition, right. that's what they're saying. You can't yeah, that's a good, say yeah. that this is happening until it is already too late. Um, yeah. it's like, it's like saying you can't tell somebody that the stove is on until they burn their hand. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, I burned my hand on the stove once, but he's just putting his hand close to the stove. It's not like he's touching the stove. Oh, right, well now he touched it. Now it's fair. Okay. You should, yeah. you should be careful guy that the stove is on. Right. It's, it's, it's very disturbing. And I think one of the, when you mention, well, how are we going to get 
people on our side about this? Like, how do we be civil in a way that wins them over? This is also kind of the week where I started to say some of them are just there's being civil doesn't help because right. um, what I think has been helping and um, Trump's approval rating varies for a lot of reasons week to week. But it's been interesting to look at Gallup's weekly thing. They, they went from being daily to where there was tons of jumps to weekly where it's a little bit flatter. And yet um, not this most recent week, but the week before that, his approval rating hit its like all time highest for them of like 45 percent. And this was while the child separation yeah. stuff was going on. A lot of people were horrified. Um, but yeah. the thing was, there was a lag. And the lag was that his approval rating was going up because of the North Korean summit. And then the next week, it dropped uh, a net of, I think, nine points or something like that with a jump in disapproval and a, and, a, and a massive drop in approval once the story was the child separation stuff. And right. Well, some of that is, you know, you have that problem with individual polls and, you know, right. Uh, right. drawing any kind of narrative about the movement in polls is, is difficult. But um, absolutely. But I, but I agree with your assessment. Yeah. That's probably what was happening is that people were responding positively to, you know, North Korea, I can assure the American people that North Korea is no longer a nuclear threat. Right. And, <laughs> you know, and now we'll see what happens when he has that. to start saying, oops. <laughs> right. I mean, he won't because he doesn't he doesn't acknowledge mistakes. As he said, I'll just come up with some excuse. Right. He, As he, he said with he his did. own <laughs> mouth. Yeah. I mean, that's oh the thing. God. This administration is an administration yeah. that just openly says it's awfulness and then uses that as an excuse not to take responsibility for it. Right. I mean right. – as as one one well, but, yeah, go ahead. one recap of the Russia investigation is that it's basically all an investigation trying to find out if Trump ever said privately what he said publicly. Yeah, which yeah. was Russia oh, yeah, go yeah. hack her emails. <laughs> it was right. Geez. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good example of the bizarro moment that bears repeating endlessly. Is that that's you know the search for the smoking gun. It's like, well, what about this gun in his hand? smoking with a cartridge on the ground like no not that one we're looking for one that he hid somewhere <laughs> right what? it only counts it's, if it's hidden it only counts if it's hidden it's, um yeah but well so okay so but, in terms of people who are persuadable i think this this family separation thing from what i've been able to gather it sounds like it is um well, it, it like it here, has, if, I, if i may uh because we're talking about a process right and a right. slow process and one of the things that I mean, one of the other, um, you know, major news, obviously, from this past week is about the Supreme Court. And right. in terms of politicizing the Supreme Court, you know, uh, Democrats, people on the left would look at Garland. Um, and then, of course, conservatives respond, no, what about Reed and the nuclear option? That was the Democrats. You did this. You're asking for it. You know, but then Democrats would say, no, actually, that was about a blockade of uh, lower court judges that, again, McConnell started. McConnell started it. And then you know, this process goes back, and potentially it goes back to Bork, where the conservatives say, you know, there was no politicization of the Supreme Court until um, Democrats uh, stonewalled on Bork. And, you know, you caused this. That's what you know, it all goes back to that point. And, you know, again, it's difficult to step outside of a partisan framework for understanding where these processes began. Um, and with the family separation stuff, you know, there was some, I mean, conservatives in this very Fox news, uh, illegitimate way are putting it on Obama. You know, they're saying like this all started 
you know, Obama did this stuff. He was the deporter in chief. You know, you're only complaining because it's Trump doing these things. But to me, I, I, you know, I'm not an expert on this, but I follow um, people who are. And it strikes me that there's a pretty obvious difference between um, what Obama was doing, which for one thing, you know, in 2014, 2015, there was a surge in right. unaccompanied minors, right? And so it's like they're coming alone. Like right. they're, how do you separate a family? Like by definition, exactly. how is this what you're talking about? Right. So like putting prison, you know, putting children in camps when it's like a child has shown up on the border. What do you do with the child? It's a totally different scenario. It's not, you know, apples to apples at all. Um, but then the other thing is, you know, Obama, it's like some of them, okay, they did come with families. And Obama was like, well, we have to enforce the, the immigration law. We can't just let these people into the country. And so they tried, you know, um, uh, incarcer not incarcerating, but, um, you know, detaining and holding um, uh, families together. And then the limit is, you know, 20 days. And so they made solutions. Like they, they tried to, you know, they did things like put, um, you know, like ankle bracelets on them or put them into special treatment programs with caseworkers who would go back, you know, to the families and say, like, are you ready for your court date? Are you coming? You know, do you plan to do this? And that, And the the incidences of families like not showing up for their court dates were like one. They were, they were in like the single percents. Yeah. You know, it's like one to five percent or something didn't actually show up. It's like that's how you manage a problem. Right. Like, you know, the laws exist. We are a nation of laws. We can't just pretend that we don't have immigration laws, you know. Like, whatever you think about the future of this country demographically, the laws exist and they have to be enforced in some way. But there's a difference between enforcing them and twisting the intent to provide, to create misery that the law does not demand, which is what Trump decided to do, arbitrarily decided to do, um, and is the complete opposite of what Obama was, was trying to do, which was to say, okay, what is the law that we have? How can we enforce the law in the most humane possible way? You know, these are these are different things. And this whole narrative that like, oh, no, Trump, you know, Trump is just following in the footsteps of, of the deporter in chief who was Obama. You know, it's just not it's just not true. Um, and I find that to be worth stating. And we know I mean, one of the reasons we know this is unnecessary is that it wasn't happening for the first year of the Trump administration. Right. Like this, this there was a point where this was not happening. And right. then we shifted to a point where it is happening. So something changed. And what is that thing that changed? And the answer is they decided to do it. <laughs> they decided that they didn't yes. care about the suffering it would cause. No, they it was did a wonderful... care. They well, did care that's true. because they the whole point is yeah. the suffering. Yeah. Well, you know, see, that's what makes it disgusting. That's what makes it sickening. That's what makes it actually So I made that point in my the, argument yeah. with some conservative friends on Facebook, and they said that it was very wrong of me to say that it was cruelty that was motivating them when they wanted it to be a deterrent because having people suffer as a deterrent is not the same as being cruel. Right. Um, it's like, just say that again a couple of times yeah, and listen, uh, to your, listen to yourself. Well, there was a, like, so there was a wonderful It's not cruel article. if it's cruel because it needs to be cruel to get the point across. Like, okay. And then they and say, like, oh, it. that's just like anytime somebody goes to jail, they're separated from their family. And it's like, well, they don't right, normally go to jail that long for a misdemeanor, which is what these immigration offenses are. Right. Um, and, and even then, you know, it is an unfortunate but necessary byproduct. We give people family visitation in prison. Right. You know, it, it's, it's, it, it's, I find that to be a really infuriating comparison um, because they're taking something that is, as I said, 
a necessary well, plus, byproduct to, of a different not system. Not to get lost in the weeds, but again, just to step back, it's like, you know, this whole arguing style is like, oh, well, you know, like, when people go to prison, they can't see their kids, you know, they're separated from their families. Or like, you know, when soldiers go to war, and this is one thing I've seen a lot, too. Again, these are like stupid, disingenuous arguments from the right, so they're almost not even worth addressing. But, um, you know, that whole approach is like, okay, well, wait a second. What are we actually talking about? We're talking about separating people from their families. So if you're saying, uh, here are all these other situations in which people are separated from their families. So those are bad. And so the fact that these other things are bad means that we shouldn't care if anything is bad? Or, or is the point to, that we don't want to separate people from their families unnecessarily? And if that's the case... Let's go back to the situation where they weren't being separated. Like, oh, so you agree with me. We all agree with each other. Let's not separate them. That's what you're saying, right? And there's the there's this tendency to argue, again, from these sort of right-wing talking points in a way that makes you kind of forget that, like, the arbitrarily chosen Trump policy is to do the thing that his supporters are equivocating about by saying that it is that it's so bad, but here are these other examples of, of this bad thing happening. It's like, well, if they're all bad, then let's just not do them. You know, and right. the, the carceral state, right? Like this is something that it's not even a left right position. It's a sort of a libertarian authoritarian position where theoretically there are people on the right who agree that the power of the state to take away people's liberties should be limited. Right. So this is, this should be something that we should be able to uh, build consensus on. Yeah. But people sort of dig into their partisan positions, and I mean, they, as we sort of mentioned earlier, before you get before you get something like the Holocaust, before you get something like the Rwandan genocide, you start off by making it so that so that your people do not feel empathy for the victims. Right. And you start using words like infest. You start comparing them to vermin. You start saying all of these things to make them not view the people that they're dealing with as anybody that you feel anything for. And when you listen to some of these excuses, well, they shouldn't have broken the law. It's the same thing you hear um, when they're protesting, when they're up, when they're up against Black Lives Matter people, where they say, well, yeah, sure, the police uh, strangled an unarmed man to death, but he shouldn't have been selling cigarettes on the street. It's this. It's this thing where. Um, because they've done anything wrong in their lives at any point ever, you should feel no empathy for them. They deserve absolutely anything they get. Right. Which, of course, never seems to apply to white people, where it's like, oh, but he was such a nice boy. Or, you know, look at all the pain they're putting Paul Manafort through. Isn't yeah. that so unfair? Yeah. He's a good... That's what Trump says about all of his people who do horrible things. He says, oh, but it's a good person. And good person almost seems synonymous with white, because that's how it lines up. Whereas any person who is not white who does anything that is a misdemeanor suddenly well they're allowed you're allowed to kill them they made a mistake so they should be allowed to die it's it's and and the 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 background for that is as you said this concept of infestation and the flood you know this this flood of immigrants who um you know if if it were just a you know if it were just one Honduran family that was claiming asylum then that would be one thing but it's this flood you know the system can't handle it we can't incorporate all these people and to me that you know, I, I'm particularly bothered by that for two related reasons. One is that uh, this is something that comes, I come back to again and again that like 
conservatives who wrap themselves in the flag today seem more than progressive liberal types to not actually believe in their country and the power of American society to incorporate. I mean, you know, you could call it assimilation, but that has kind of a negative connotation. But, you know, assimilation or not, it's just people come and they are incorporated into our society. And what, you know, the values that we have as a society are incredibly strong. Like the real values that people come and they work hard and they contribute to their communities and they play by the rules and and they become American. You know, what, what more do you want? Okay, they speak English. Well, the kids fucking speak English. Excuse me for, right. you know, swearing, but like... Uh, hey, swearing is appropriate on this topic. I'm just like, we're, yeah. we're breaking no, out the, all the things we hold back on. Right. I mean, the, the point is that um, whatever your standards, our society is incredibly strong and incredibly successful in, in incorporating, you know, newcomers and reconstituting itself stronger than ever with every passing generation in many respects, obviously not all because here we are at this moment of great political crisis. Um, but if anybody should believe in that and have confidence in that, it'd be the conservatives. You'd think, you know, you would think American values are strong. American values are, um, persuasive and, you know, powerful and can resist the pressure from, you know, demographic change. You'd think that people who value those values, would have that, um, you know, have that sense of optimism. We did that respect. whole episode you know, on then, the idea of America. Other, yeah, right. With, with the other side of this, if I may, I'll try to be quick. Um, you know, the other side of it is that, you know, okay, that's my encomium for American values. But, like, people who are coming here from other countries, you know, why are they coming? Right? Like, most people want to stay where they are right and they have reasons for leaving and if those reasons went away they would just stay where they are you know as is happening in mexico where like mexico is not in a great situation with drug violence and a lot of stuff but you know it's a different country than it was 30 20 years ago when there was a large uh pressure from you know, migrants coming from Mexico to the United States. You know, there are fewer people. The economy's better. Um, you know, there is still violence, all this stuff, but like, you know, it's a different country and people are just staying where they are. If the drug violence that is, that is leading to the, uh, the instability that people in Central America are fleeing, you know, if that ends, this immigration problem, you know, in, uh, in scare quotes, just goes away. Because they're not, they're, you know, they're not like, you know, termites who are coming to eat the wood of our society and destroy it, right? They're just people who want to live somewhere. That's how you and, and I view life. them. <laughs> right. No, but it's just, it's just it's so frustrating that anyone can possibly, I mean, that's the whole point. It's this process of dehumanization where you learn to forget that these other people are just people and have the same motivations fundamentally the same motivations as people anywhere to just live where they are and and pursue opportunity and if they didn't have to leave then they wouldn't come right. um 
And we, we can do things as a country to help them to feel like they don't have to leave. And, you know, let's well, focus you on that. Rather America than... first. You can't help. You can't do well, things yeah, to exactly. stabilize other countries because exactly. America has to come first. Right. Even right. if that means America gets no, that's Exactly. This is the I mean, administration the whole... that doesn't understand that helping other people can help you, too, by stabilizing right. the region. They don't right. understand well, yeah, that. NAFTA, exactly. That, like NAFTA, it's like, if you don't want Mexicans coming to America to take jobs in America, help build factories in Mexico so they have jobs. You know, and that's, that was part of the success of NAFTA and the same success of the TPP. It's like, if you don't want, um, you know, if you don't want sweatshops undercutting uh, wage rates in the developed world, um, why don't you create a coalition of trading partners who agree on minimum working standards? Right. You know, wouldn't wouldn't that be a novel approach? There was some point when one of Trump's people started basically describing, wouldn't it be great if we could have this big trade agreement with you know the Pacific region? Right. Yeah. And yeah. somebody was like, you mean a trans-Pacific <laughs> partnership of some kind? Um I, this is just a really stupid administration, and that's something that needs to be remind, remembered whenever you start thinking about it. It's both incompetent and malevolent, and sometimes those two cancel each other out, and other times they exacerbate it. And yeah. immigration is, and trade are two of those issues where they get exacerbated. It's <sighs> frightful. Um, yeah. And so, so one but, of the yeah. points that I'd like to make when we mm-hmm. talk about immigration, so people say, oh, we don't we're just illegal immigration we care about. It's like, okay, right. well, we have the ability to increase the amount of immigration that is legal. Right now, it is a, there's a series of steps you have to go through to be here legally, and it's a, there's a backlog, and it's long, and it's difficult to do. We have the ability to improve that. Right. We could make it. So I was actually trying to do the math the other day, just sort of back of the envelope stuff, on how many illegal immigrants we tend to get um, on a regular, on a yearly basis, and you know how much would we really have to be changing things in order to allow more people in? And right now, it's not that bad. I mean, you look at a chart of illegal immigration; it is really just cratered in the last two decades. Um, and 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 when you when you, which as you say, is partially because Mexico became a better place to live. Not perfect, but better. Which means fewer people at the margin feel they have to come here. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, if I can interrupt, I mean, one thing that I've, um, you know, I don't know, there, there's so many, there's so many issues where exactly what you said, uh, applies, uh, to the refusal to take a problem solving approach to whatever issue is being discussed where it's like this whole thing about, we talked about this before with uh, gun violence, that, you know, the salute, you know, the response of people who say, um, well, we can't do this because, uh, what would it really take to start regulating guns in America? You'd have to do so much. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, we would. It would be if we wanted to as a society, we could. So let's have a show of hands. Who wants to, (laughs) you know, who wants to solve the problem? And then, because the people who say, well, you know, the Second Amendment just exists and it's the suicide pact that we have with ourselves and we can't get rid of it. That's one argument. That's one set of arguments. But the, the argument of, like, how would you enforce this? It would take so much effort. Was like, the response could be, 
okay, I don't disagree with that. It would take effort. We would have to choose as a society to do it. How much do effort we are we spending choose? on illegal immigration right now? Like, I mean, that, that's the thing you have to, yeah. you, you need to bear in mind. Effort and we, money, right? And part of it is the, going back to the, um, you know, this ankle bracelet thing. It's like, you know, if you have, you pay for a little hunk of plastic and, you know, and these families come back with, you know, 95 to 99% confidence and they show up for their court dates and everything. Or you spend, God only knows it's how many triple digits hundreds a day, of thousands of dollars. Correctly. Triple digits per person per day. Yeah. Exactly. It's just, it's insanity. And of course it's, um, again, with, I mean, with, with the carceral state in general, you have part of the, I mean, well, I mean, it's a huge part of the problem is these unaligned interests where, you know, prison uh, guards, unions, and companies that own and operate private prisons and, um, you know, this combination of private and public interests um, don't want to solve problems that the rest of the country, you know, is sort of my, like they are special interests that are incredibly passionately invested in narrow issues that the broader society doesn't like and would be fine getting rid of, but doesn't ultimately care that much about And And hopefully this is the, this is a moment where uh, just in general, people are getting so riled up that, um, that a wave will sweep away a lot of these problems. And that's where, you know, things like civility, the civility debate, um, building allies versus sort of hardening um, positions is both, I don't know, it's just, it's deeply confusing and, and, and frustrating and frightening because you kind of hope that like, okay, we'll get super passionate and we'll get a lot of turnout and um, people will do the right thing and, and vote against this whole agenda. But then I don't know if you saw this, this, I don't even know what to say about this, but have you seen this recent poll showing white millennial men uh, between 2016 and 2018 flooding mm. towards the Republican Party? I have not. Yeah. Um, I don't know how, you know, it's it like one poll that I think maybe, I can't remember the operator. Um, I can't remember who commissioned the poll, but it was like an online poll of 16,000 people. So I'm not sure about the methodology and I don't want to say too much, I guess, because again, it's like right. one should never put too much credence in, into one poll result. But, um, you know, it's an indication that, um, again, a lot of these problems are cyclical and some kind of belief in, you know, some kind of hope for like the one overriding victory to come, you know, the great revolution that will right. inevitably come the permanent in the future. Majority. Right. Exactly. It's just, it's a, it's insanity. Um, but then the problem is that our, our system is built on incrementalism and incrementalism that relies on more or less good faith from more or less, you know, most of the participants. And now we have, you know, a huge portion and basically half of the, um, I mean, one of the two main political parties that is completely 
suborned to this actor who defines bad faith, you know, Donald Trump. Who which, just... which actually brings us back a bit to when you when we mentioned, um, you know, Nazi comparisons aren't exactly going to endear the other side to you. Right. Um, but that is to mistakenly assume that every issue is a partisan issue of Democrats versus Republicans. People who watch Fox News all the time and are just drowned in right-wing talking points may have an issue with their ability to feel empathy at this point. But the people who are very who are who can be persuaded by some of these images, Trump didn't win by simply getting every single Republican. Um, you know, he he managed to win because there were a lot of people who are, you know, not happy about what they're seeing right now, um, but who didn't maybe they didn't think he was quite this big of a monster. Um, you know, maybe they had some other concerns about Hillary because the, the media decided that her emails were the most important thing. There's yeah. a lot of stuff that can change without, without, um, without having to win votes from people who are going to dig in and say, don't use Nazi comparisons. I'm upset you use Nazi comparisons. Now let me go pull this family away and put their children in cages. Yeah. I think, um, so, uh, one thing that I think is important to remember about about debates and arguments that are pitched as between two sides or two actors is that the people watching that are don't, you know, they don't have to choose one of the two sides. Um, the, if you get into an argument with someone, for example, I mean, you mentioned um, this post that you put on Facebook and um, getting into an argument with your with your friend. You may not have convinced the friend, but there are people reading the post who can take away their own impressions. And so that, I would say, is actually another reason to not worry about um, civility in the sense of offending your counterpart in that moment, but to worry very much about rationality and methodology, you know, that if you're going to make a point, stick to the structure of your argument in making that point and don't, um, don't, don't go too far into your own personal world of kind of emotional and gut and hope reactions, because the people who are watching that argument unfold, you know, you might have all the same, like they might have all the same sort of gut reactions as you do. And then, then you don't have to worry about you know, the methodology of your argument, but they might not, you know, and we, we talked about this, I think in the last, um, the last time we spoke, I was talking about sort of the appeal of sternness for conservatives. And I, it seemed like we had a missed, uh, you know, there was a misconnection there um, where you weren't really understanding what I was trying to to say. But I mean, I think it's quite obvious that people have very different kind of emotional foundations of their politics. And that a lot of conservatives, I think, value sort of sternness and harshness as a... Um, you know, precisely the way that you were just saying earlier, um, you know, they were defending cruelty because they're saying it isn't cruel because deterrence is necessary. You know, that kind of emotional stance to be able to see 
what you or I would call cruelty and say, no, that's just necessary harshness, right? I think that's a foundation of their political position, which um, is kind of, as I mean, it's all sorts of studies and um, our own experiences shown is kind of prior to rationality in um, an argument. So not everybody's going to have the same emotional kind of matrix approaching these issues, but then hopefully people who, people who are watching can be persuaded in some way if we're, you know, careful in the way that we, um, that we argue, you know, even if we don't convince the other person on the other side, hopefully we'll be able to convince. Right. Well, that's the ankle bracelet. That's the ankle bracelet argument where you can say to somebody who's, you know, that, that, that persuadable middle or anybody who's just on the margins, you can pick off from the right. You can say to them, look, we, we found a way to accomplish the same thing cheaper and with less cruelty. Right. There are some people who are going to be like, well, they need to suffer regardless of whether it's efficient. And there are going to be other right. people who say, oh, you're right. Let's be less cruel. Um, <laughs> well, and there are going to be people who say, you know, open borders. You are you're demeaning these people who are who are fleeing violence and seeking a better life. You're demeaning them by forcing them to wear ankle bracelets. And, you know, those people. I think are wrong because you're not demeaning anyone when you are actually enforcing the laws you have i mean enforcing the laws is just a is just a necessity of living in a society that is just because without without i mean you don't have to enforce all of them right i mean all these there are all these qualifications but I mean, I was, you can't, I was gonna you say, can't as, simply as, ignore the law as someone with a law degree there are a lot of laws we do really just ignore well I mean, there are so many laws okay. on the books, you know, that just sit there for forever and nobody knows they're there, does anything with it or, or stuff where, you know, the Supreme Court says you can't enforce this law. Well, they don't repeal the law. It just sits on the books going unenforced. Right. Well, and I would. Um... Yeah, no, I but that's a that. separate I mean, that's kind of a separate argument to a certain extent. The idea that wearing an ankle bracelet is demeaning is only it's only demeaning if we as a society decide that it is demeaning. You know, if, if, if the ankle well, bracelet, instead of being seen as a sign of shame, is seen as a sign of, yes, this is how you know I am doing the hard work that I need to do to be a member of your society, and this is here so that you know you can trust me. Like, that's a, you can view it in whatever way you need to view it for the outcome you want to get. If you want to say, oh, see these people with ankle bracelets, that's how you know they're bad guys. Or you could say, the ankle bracelet shows he's doing his part. Yeah, but the doing his part, I mean, again, there... I don't think I am mistaken in saying there is a significant portion. And I don't know. Um, I haven't, I haven't like looked very closely into um, the, the positions of this, uh, this new phenomenon, um, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez, who just won her primary over Joe Crowley in New York. Um, but my understanding is that she has, uh, you know, I, I don't know if, if open borders exactly is something that could characterize her position, but um, I'm pretty sure it's something close. To, I mean, abolish ICE, right? Like, I'm pretty sure she, she campaigned well, on that. A lot of people are and, starting to say that. Right. Well, and I, I, yeah, I remember in, in high school um, when the Patriot Act was being, you know, debated and Department of Homeland Security. I mean, these things, it's like, we didn't have them, you know, 20 years ago, these didn't exist. ICE did not exist. Um, to some extent it was, 
maybe it's like, well, you didn't call it ICE, but there were other agencies that did similar things. Um, and to some extent, perhaps it's more of a wire chart reorganization than the creation ex nihilo of a new uh, you know, agency. But um, I'm not, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that argument. Um, but my point is that you can't get everybody by saying, you know, they come here, they do their, it's like, you know, we respect the process that they have to go through to earn their admission into the society. To me, that sounds commonsensical. To a lot of people, I'm sure it does. But I, you know, there are also people who say, you know, hold, you know, forcing them to go through that test is demeaning and itself is like on the road to fascism. Um, I mean, positions are so, I mean, in our country right now, we are being, we are this sort of the perimeters of political argument are careening so wildly from one end. Uh, you know, the right is going further right. The left is going quite far left. And, um, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not like lamenting the death of the middle as such because the middle has to earn its uh, respect, you know. Simply bleating, you know, for civility. Susan Collins uh, has not earned it in recent years. And she's not earned it, exactly, yeah. I mean, bleating, you know, just saying like, oh, we should all just respect each other. And, you know, Sarah Huckabee Sanders deserves to, you know, have, she deserves not to be shamed in front of her children. It's like, no, she absolutely yeah, deserves she does. to be shamed yeah. in front of her children. She's tearing other people's children away from them. And she's not allowed to have her kids be told, please don't come here. Like, exactly. oh, you poor little snowflake. I feel so bad for you. <laughs> right. Right. And I, I think, I mean, I think there is a difference between, you know, what that restaurateur did and Maxine Waters, for example, who was saying, like, actively find all of these people. And first of all, one thing that I think deserves to be said. So I don't totally agree with Maxine Waters, but she said members of the cabinet. Right. Right. This famous quote, you know, that the right wing is using to gin up death threats against her. Um Let's also remember what civility means for the other side. Right. Um, well, we already know they gave up civility. Civility is exactly. one-sided. It's no, that's the point. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a ratchet that, you know, that they use to, to punish decent people, which is basically everyone other than those defending Trump at this point. Um, anyway, so you know, Maxine Waters says, um, go and create a crowd. When you see members of the not members of the administration, members of this cabinet. You know, that's the quote. It's a small number so, of people. It's a small number of people. And these are people who have all the options in the world. I mean, you know, they chose to be in the position that they're in. Um, they're not just working stiffs, you know, trying to help the country in the way that they think is best. It's like these are these are people with a high degree of responsibility in, in this administration. And she said, you know, create a mob and, and bother them. I still think that's a little... Back. She didn't say, like, you're not physically pushing them, you're pushing back. Yeah. I thought that I mean, was a relevant distinction. But... Also relevant, right. She didn't say tar and feather them, which if you're talking about, you know, American is apple pie. Right, I mean, yeah, there you go. You know, mobs took government officials and poured boiling tar on them until their skin fell off. I mean, yeah, uh, that's obviously a a distant world we don't want to return to, but um, anyway, 
But no, the point is that she, you know, she made this comment, um, and I think it was a little extreme, but it even itself was not as bad as it's being characterized as being. Right. But then, you know, the Sarah Huckabee Sanders thing is not even close to being bad. There's no, there was no mob that formed, that, you know, to make her feel unsafe or make they her politely asked her to leave unsafe. and they then comped her the cheese said, plate. Exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, it seems to me that that's a pretty clear... Well, one pretty of the good much... pushbacks on that was um, somebody said, you know, if you think about... What did Martin Luther King say? He said, we want them judged not by the color of the skin, but by the content of their character. And she was being judged by the conduct con content of her character. And it's not like it was just, oh, any Republican gets thrown out. Sarah Huckabee Sanders chose to be the public face of this administration. She chose exactly. to be the person who gets out there and explains what they do. And it's because of her specific actions that she was asked to leave that restaurant. Right. And this point needs to be very clearly focused on and repeated because, of course, the response to it is the effort to say there is no difference between Trump and the average Republican voter. You know, Trump wants all of those Republicans to think liberals don't hate me. They hate you. Right. You know, they hate us. I am you. Right. And that's 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 the response that he's. Um, yeah, that the, that the that these spokespeople are making, that it's not that they hate Sarah Huckabee Sanders for her personal, specific, repeated mendacity in support of this literally atrocious at this point now, literally atrocious government. Um, she is, you know, they, they want these average Republican voters to think, no, all of those people hate us. They hate uh, you, you know, they hate you individually as a, as a conservative. Um, and that needs to be uh, counteracted to the extent that it can with the bubbles that we, that we live in. Well, um, the, Onion, the Onion had a wonderful headline for Sanders this past week. It said, Exas exasperated Huckabee Sanders reminds press corps that children under 14 can't feel pain. And it's one of those things where, like you chuckle a little bit, then you just like you think about the extent through which. And, and of course, the body of the article is just, you know, going on about how, um, you know, these children aren't going to remember any of the horrible things we're doing to them. <laughs> and the children are absolutely going to remember the horrible things that are being done to them. And yeah. it, it's almost like that that's that's your lack of empathy there is that it's essentially become their position now that they don't feel or they don't care or that there isn't pain going on because of what they're doing. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, it, it, again, I, I imagine that there were a lot of people who were in the position that we were in, but, um, you know, you could abstractly believe that the country was going down the, the wrong path. Um, you could be offended morally by things that Trump did or that other people said, but this is just a totally different scale of just depraved cruelty to children. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's just on a totally different level. And I think a, a lot of Americans are, um, are, are probably feeling similarly to, to how we felt in response to that. Yeah. That's, and, uh, you know, it's also, just, it's, it's also just so obvious, you know, the, 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 the like, the, some of the, like taxes, you know, it, 
pe- maybe people who are sort of political junkies can get worked up about like, oh, you know, just think about all the different things that we could use that revenue on. I mean, rather than giving it to rich people to you know trickle down through this through the you know, economic system, you know, we could be paying for you know children's health insurance program, and we could be paying for um, you know food stamps and all this other stuff. You know, they could get exercised about this, but most people find that difficult. Whereas you know this case is quite vivid. I mean, because I think at some level, I mean, everybody somewhere in their mind remembers the pain that they felt as a child adjusting to leaving their right. parents, you know, like I mean, one of the loneliness big comparisons and fear. Is when like, you get lost from your parents at the mall, you freak out as a child. Right. Literally everyone goes through that stage. And so I think um, it's there reverberating in our, in the minds of anyone who, you know, has who, who, whether they think about it, you know, try to, whether they like actively go back to their, to their own experiences and think about it or not, like it, it resonates in their memory that like, you know, we all felt that jolt of anxiety at some point thinking about being separated from our parents as children. And to imagine that that is government policy is just, again, it's just utterly sickening. Right. And we're about at the end of our time um, for today. And we didn't even touch on the Muslim ban, except for a very brief reference at the beginning. Oh my God. Yeah. And we, and I mean, we have a whole other show we could maybe do next week about what a better immigration policy would look like in the sense that, you know, just, just to leave a little bit of an idea here for people, the number of people that are coming, if we wanted to pour the resources in and have them come in legally, we could do that. You know, we could, we could make sure that you know, the number of people coming is not such that a country as vast and, and as vast in terms of space and population as, as, as the United States is, if we wanted to pour the resources into increasing the number of people who can come legally and be vetted and all of those things, we could do it. We could do it. It is a policy choice that we have restricted immigration the way that we have such that people feel a need to sneak in rather or come up and claim asylum rather than simply going through a normal process of coming to America. It is a choice that we have made. And we can make a right. different choice. Well, and one of the things that we, you know, not to, I think that'd be an interesting discussion to have, but one of the things that I just want to say right now is, you know, we make it hard for people who just want to come to America to live. Right. That, that's what I'm and saying. We can make those people easier. come to America, they just, you know, what are they taking away, you know, that they're not paying back in spades? You know, people who just immigrate and live in our country, make it hard for them to do that. We make it easy for people, you know, like Russian plutocrats, you know, to come people, I mean, not, that's not literally plutocrats. Cause we do try to vet people who um, are, you have like, uh, you know, illegal assets, but, you know, rapaciously wealthy people who come to invest. Yes, we want some of that, but it's a, it's a total disconnect between the ease with which, you know, money can come and take over and hollow out communities like real estate in New York, for example, um, versus people who come to join our societies from below, you know, join at the bottom and participate and build. It's a total, it's a total disconnect in the way that we view, uh, trans border movements of, of people and money. I feel right. And this whole episode has basically been a soapbox sign off. 
So <laughs> uh, we're reaching our time limit here. So I'm going to call it. We'll uh, see you guys next week. Um, you know, possibly with more immigration stuff. Maybe we'll talk about the Muslim ban. There's just so much to be outraged about right now. We have to pause and try to talk about it rationally. But it's hard. It's hard when you're seeing something that is so needlessly, casually cruel by people. Who, oh, you're just too big of a softy by caring about children crying for their mothers. I, I womp, 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 in womp, womp, indeed, sir. Womp, womp, indeed. See you next week.